Good morning and welcome to Laurel Heights where we are committed to teaching and preaching from the text of Scripture and this morning we take you to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. God caused this to be written to Christians many years ago. Christians who were under intense pressure, being tempted and persecuted, here's what they needed to hear. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Everything you read about in the Bible that is glorious and honorable and beneficial to man can be expressed in one incredible phrase, the grace of God. I mean, back at the earliest time in recorded history, start with the creation of man. Even back before that, as God thought about our needs and made plans for us to be saved, the great story of the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt, the giving of the law, the sending of the prophets, all of that, with its details of beauty and benefit, had the same heavenly source and can be expressed in that single phrase, the grace of God. Everything you read about in the Bible that is glorious and honorable and beneficial to man can be expressed with that phrase. So, we are not taken by surprise when we start reading the New Testament to discover many times that the coming of Christ into the world the life of Christ, and here in Hebrews, his sacrificial death has this same heavenly source and can be expressed in the same way, the grace of God. During our time together now, we want to make that connection. First in our minds, and then through our response in our lives to Jesus Christ and the grace of God. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. What is the grace of God? First of all, we must understand the grace of God is something embedded in who God is. Let me explain. We use tools and devices all the time. But those things are not a part of who we are. A carpenter uses a hammer. A cook may use utensils. Most of us use computers and cell phones and we drive cars and we book flights on airplanes. We use various things which are manufactured for specific practical use but which are external to us. 
These things are not a part of who we are. We just use them. Think of grace as an eternal quality that is part of who God is. It is not the case that there came a time after creation when God needed something he didn't have. And so he reached over and he picked up grace and then later he put it down. No. It wasn't that God did not need grace until some point in time and then he just thought of it and came up with it. Grace is embedded in who God is. In Exodus 34, 6, God is described as merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. These and many other verses are telling us not just what God used, but who God is. These perfectly valuable qualities are who God is. Mercy, steadfast love, willing to pardon, gracious. Do not think of something external to God that he picked up and used and then put down. Rather, when you think of the grace of God, think of who God is. And so, when God made the world and created man in his own image, that good work reflected who he is, his grace. When he took those slaves out of Egypt, it was because of who he is, his grace. When he saved Noah and his family, gave Abraham a son, sent the prophets, all of that perfectly performed by the God of all grace. You see, grace is God's perfect generosity, meaning he is willing to give. He is willing to give to the undeserving He's willing to give to the needy, even those who've rebelled against him in the past. He's willing to take them back upon their repentance. It is not just rare, it is unique to God, his grace. Nobody gives with such benevolence, such mercy and patience as God. The Bible calls it the grace of God And it could be expressed this way, God doing what he doesn't have to do, but from his heart wants to do. God doing what he doesn't have to do, but from his heart wants to do. And this truth is illustrated over and over in the Old Testament. Two examples. Noah found grace In the eyes of the Lord, Genesis 6 and verse 8. God didn't have to do everything he did in the days of Noah for Noah and his family. God didn't have to do that, but because of who he is, he chose to save the righteous. And along with that, he chose 
to give everybody an opportunity to repent through many years of Noah's preaching. You remember Joshua and the battle of Jericho. God didn't say to Joshua, Joshua, get some of your good military men together and you guys figure out how you're going to handle this. God didn't say, whatever you guys come up with, that'll be okay. God didn't say, you do the planning and I'll just put a blessing over what you plan and what you do and we'll see how it goes. No, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. Did you hear that? I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. God didn't have to come up with that. But God had a plan that exhibited His power and His grace. They followed those commands. And by so doing, they received the gift of victory from God. Victory that they didn't come up with. They received it from God when they did what He said. Listen to what God said when He gave Joshua the plan. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. That's grace. Down in verse 16, The Lord has given you the city. All the marching, the blowing of the trumpets, was not human military strategy that the men came up with that earned success. It was God's grace granting them this victory when they did what God said to receive the gift. So grace is embedded in who God is, causing Him to show steadfast love to thousands who were undeserving, who could never earn or merit what they receive from God. Over and over we discover it's God doing what He doesn't have to do, but from His heart wants to do. In the case of Noah and Joshua, <clears throat> there was nobody above God telling him he had to save the people and be patient with them and give them some military victory. So grace is a part of who God is. And as it finds expression, God acts from his heart for man, though man does not merit such benevolence. And that brings us back to Hebrews 2 and verse 9. And it connects it all with the death of Christ. But we see Him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, 
crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Look at that phrase that is our subject. By the grace of God, he tasted death for everyone. The human race did not merit, had not earned the right to make any claim to God for award. But God responded, providing exactly and fully what sinners needed through the death of Christ. Man has no history that shows any evidence of meriting reward for good conduct. So the coming of Christ into the world, His life, example, teaching, death, resurrection, and ascension, what was behind all that? The grace of God, not the good conduct of man. The Bible is clear on this point. That even though there were good people who lived before Christ came, not a single person who lived before the cross merited or deserved or earned what Christ did. And in fact, had there been someone who met the standard of continual perfect conduct before God, in their case, the sacrifice would not have been needed. But the reality and the history is... Not a single person who lived before the cross merited what Christ did. By the grace of God, he tasted death for everyone. We must be clear about this. No matter how good we are, how much money we have, the brilliance of our reputation among men, we have sinned. And the only currency that has value in heaven is the blood of Christ that you benefit from when you're buried with Him in baptism. What we're talking about now, the Apostle Paul wrote extensively about in the book of Romans. We're going to go back and look at a few of those passages just briefly before we close. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul documents the very point I just made, <clears throat> that nobody before the cross earned what Jesus did for mankind. He speaks of the sin problem as it was chosen by both Jews and Gentiles, and it leads him to this conclusion in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In that same context, Romans 3.10 contains an Old Testament quotation that says, None is righteous, no, not one. All have turned aside. The Bible is telling us not anyone before Jesus came and died had lived in such a perfect way as to merit or earn the award of salvation, relationship with God. And so it says in Hebrews 2, 9, that by the grace of God, Jesus tasted death for everyone. So here's God showing who He is with grace toward the undeserving. Nobody has earned it. Nobody above God told Him what to do. There is no being above God. It was God doing 
what he didn't have to do, but wanted to do for sinners who had no other way out of sin, including every one of us. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was not us deserving anything when he was on the cross. It was God's love and grace providing us with a way out of sin. Grace at Calvary. Now, where do we need to go with this? Here's where we need to go now. What is your response? Knowing this. The rest of our time, the next few minutes, we explore what our response ought to be. In this section in Romans and also in Ephesians 2, salvation is described as a gift. And that is consistent with what we're talking about. God's generosity. God gave Noah and his family salvation. God gave Joshua and the people the victory. Romans 5.15 speaks of the free gift. And Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, By grace you have been saved, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. What do you do when a gift is offered? You'll not have to spend a lot of time thinking about that, will you? What do you do when a gift is offered? Think of birthday parties or holidays or more recently graduation parties and gifts. What is your response when a gift is offered to you? Now, it is not like you clocked in and did the work and now you're getting the total of your hourly wage less deductions. That's a different thing. We're talking about a gift you didn't earn. You didn't work for it. The giver wants to help you. The giver loves you. What do you do when that gift is offered? When a gift is offered, the recipient must choose how to respond. And generally, we want what we couldn't get in any other way. We want to receive it and keep it. We want to open the box and get our hands on the contents and claim it as ours and use it and keep it. Take care of it. Think of it this way now. God, through the person and work of Jesus Christ and the preaching of the gospel, is offering you a gift. The desire of God is for us to be taken out of sin and brought to Him to be with Him in life and after death. That's grace. It was supremely expressed when Jesus tasted death for everyone. So the gift of salvation is offered to everyone. The question is, what is your response? Will you receive it? Will you use it and keep it? Or will you walk away from the offer? When you hear the gospel of Christ and you hear all this about the grace of God that caused Jesus to die for the remission of our sins and you walk away, you're refusing the one gift that can get you to heaven. We see Him 
who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste of death for everyone. Salvation is free in a sense, but it's not cheap. It requires a response, a reception of the gift, then in the keeping of that gift by the obedience of faith, it is, it is a response that is required. It cost God His Son. It will cost you everything you have to be a New Testament Christian. You give to God your heart and life, not just a nod to escape hell, Jesus said discipleship is all-out, total, absolute commitment. And when you give your life to Him, you are only the recipient of a gift. When you hear, believe, and obey the gospel, you're a recipient of a gift. When you read the Bible and pray and worship and grow and live your life as you should, you're the recipient of a gift. Listen, please, in Titus 3, 4-7. to but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I tell you, if we combined every good deed of every person from Adam to the last person before the end of the world, there would still be no claim to God of earning salvation. Amazing grace that you hear every time you hear the gospel. That the Creator would say through His Word something like this, I know you've not paid good attention to me. I know you've lied you didn't obey your parents. You've entertained some thoughts that were evil. You haven't treated people right. You haven't read my word with sincere devotion of heart. You haven't considered my beloved son, but I'll take you back if you'll obey the gospel. I'll forgive you based on the cross if you'll respond to receive the gift. It's amazing grace at Calvary. And remember what I said earlier. No matter, no matter how good we are, how much money we have, the brilliance of our reputation among men, we have sinned, and the only currency that has value in heaven is the blood of Christ. To receive the gift of salvation, Obey the gospel. Repent and be baptized. And we give you that opportunity now as we stand together to sing.